you guys doing? Good. Beautiful these days. The Lord is good. We are in Mark chapter 10. You guys know that today's our last study on our five-part study of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Last week, I wasn't here, but uh, Pastor Mike shared with us, and uh, last week was lifestyle. But, but the five together, the first was denial, if you forgot. The second was opposition. The third was instruction. The fourth was lifestyle. We looked at marriage, we looked at children, and we looked at possessions as far as discipleship goes last week. And then this week is ambition, because you guys have some ambition, right? You want stuff out of life. You want certain things to happen. You want to win the lottery. No. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> Ambition. There's something in us that drives us to want to be successful, and the disciples found themselves in a very interesting position with a man who claimed he was going to be the king of the Jews, or that he was. He was the Messiah. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and as his disciples are going to Jerusalem with him, they're really getting this intensive discipleship uh, one-on-one that they've gotten before, but this is really particularly for them as they're going to Jerusalem. This, as we start Mark chapter 10, verse 32, this is uh, the third time that Jesus predicts his death when they get to Jerusalem. The first two times in the series that we started, it was in this five-week series, the first two times, the first time uh, Jesus talks about how the Sanhedrin or the Jewish rulers were going to be the ones that handed him over. The second time Jesus says that it's going to be the Gentiles that hand him over. This time, it's the most detailed description of Jesus' betrayal and death. And he talks about how it's the scribes, it's the Jewish leaders, and the Gentiles Who's responsible for the death of Jesus Christ? You. Me. We're responsible. Maybe we didn't nail him to the cross. Maybe we didn't, you know, pull the proverbial trigger, but it was because of our sin that Jesus had to go to the cross and die on our behalf. If I don't have any sin, then he didn't need to go. If I could get there on my own, then then his death was meaningless. He didn't have to suffer the way that he suffered. I I have this conversation with people when they say, you know, uh, I think that I'm going to get to heaven. I say, you really think that you're going to make it? Yeah, I'm not a bad person. I I do more good things than I do bad things. I said, really? So that you think that because you do more good things than you do bad things that you're going to be able to get to heaven? And we're all sinners. We're all in a place where... If we are able or willing, again, if we are able or willing to do anything to appease God, to have a right relationship with him, then Jesus died in vain. And it's not until that point, that place that we come to that we can say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I need you. God, I'm the one whose sin that you died for, that you laid down your life for. And this is what he wants the disciples to understand in this third prediction. Let's look at verse 32 before we do. Let's pray. But we're going to start in verse 32 this morning. God, we're so thankful for you and for your heart of love and compassion, long-suffering, mercy. 
God, we're so thankful that you're willing to pay the price for our lives so that we could be cleansed of our unrighteousness, so that we can lay our lives down. You give us the opportunity to follow you, to pick up our crosses, to die to ourselves, to die to the flesh, and to be able to know more perfectly what your purpose is for us, what your plan is, what your kingdom is looking like, is supposed to look like. And God, today we pray that you would teach us in your word. You would instruct us in the way. You prepare us, Lord, not just to take and receive this information, but to allow it to fall in fertile soil, to produce fruit, and to give to others for your glory. Bless your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, shut that cricket up, please. (laughs) Amen. I'm easily distracted, apparently, so... Verse 32, now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed, and as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. We have to stop before we get to him saying that he's going to be killed again, because this is very important. They were following Jesus, and what does it say? Very distinctly, very clearly, Jesus was going before them. You know, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to make sure that we're in a place where we're following where he's going. That we're not going in our own direction saying, hey, Jesus, come over here. Hey, Jesus, I got a good plan for this over here. Jesus, I want to do this. Could you be a part of that? Or even alongside, like, Jesus, let's walk together. Maybe we can discuss what direction we want to go in life. If we're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's going to be leading us. And we have to be willing to say, wherever he's going, I'm willing to go to. Notice the next part. This kind of hit me strongly when I was looking at it. Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed as they followed. They were afraid. Underline that. If we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we're allowing him to lead us. We're willing to follow. If we're in a healthy place, we will be amazed at where he's taking us, but we'll also be a little bit afraid. That's how I am. Maybe some people can't identify that with that, but that's where I am. I'm like, Lord, I want to follow you, but I'm not sure if I'm really willing to go where you want to take me. Why were they amazed? Well, first of all, Where were they going? They were going to the very place that they knew Jesus was going to take the most heat out of everywhere that they had been. They were amazed that this man was so willing to charge to the place where he could very well be murdered. And he had said it twice before and he's about to say it now again. But we're about protection and preservation I knew a sweet, sweet old lady who I still love dearly and I see pretty regularly. When I was a young Christian, I wanted to be a missionary and I talked to her. This woman loved the Lord, very godly woman. And when I would talk to her about being a missionary, she said, I'm glad you're going because I'd never go. I'm like, what do you mean? She said, if, if, if Gabriel the archangel came down and pointed a gun to my head and said I had to go on the mission field, I'd say, take me back to Jesus. I'm not willing to go. And I'm like, really? Like, you know, I know you. If the Lord revealed to you that you needed to go, I'm sure that you'd go. But I think the heart of what she was trying to say is we all have those things in our lives that we're not really willing to do. 
We say that we are, we say that we want to, we verbalize it, right? We talk about it, we can make plans, but when it comes down to it, when it's time to do it, we look for an excuse. Something else came up. This isn't the best timing. The doors aren't open. The doors are open. They're right there. This is something that the Lord wants you to do. Many times I find, I listened to Pastor Mike's message last Sunday, many times those things that he wants us to do are the simple things as well. To love somebody that's difficult to love. But I don't want to. Well, you have to. You have to. Jesus is showing the epitome of who he is by laying himself down as a sacrifice, going to Jerusalem, and here we see the disciples following him, but that word afraid can also be translated hesitant. And you know why I love that about these guys? They're coming to the end of Jesus' ministry, their time together with him, and there's still questions. And there's still concerns. And they still don't have it together. You know why I like that? Because I don't have it together. I think that the longer I walk with the Lord, the better I'll understand things and the easier it'll be, right? And people look at me and they say, oh, you're, you're, you've arrived. And I say, get out of my face, Satan. Get behind me. I'm nowhere nearer now than I was before. I'm on the same journey. I had the same questions. I had the same concerns. And I have to continually, like they did, lay my life down to follow what Jesus has. And as you do, as you do, and as I do, you will continue to be amazed and you'll continue to be a little bit afraid. But trusting that as you follow him, you're going to be going in the right direction. It's not an issue of comfort. Don't talk. Don't think about comfort. Think about obedience. Think about fulfillment. Think about the kingdom of God. And I would say, listen, I don't mean this in a bad way or a mean way or guilt. I'm not a guilter. You guys know that. But maybe we should ask ourselves today, am I in the place today, right now, following Jesus, that I'm amazed at where he's taken me, and I'm a little bit afraid? And if you're not, maybe you can ask him, Lord, am I following you, or am I asking you to follow me? And when we do, hopefully we're in a place, and we have ears to hear what the Lord wants to say to us, because I believe he wants to tell us. Tim, I'm tired of you pulling me along on what you want to do. Tim, I'm tired of you trying to manipulate situations so that you get what you want. And we're going to see that example in this next portion of Scripture. Verse 33, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. There you guys go. First one was a Sanhedrin, the ruling, the ruling Jewish party. The second one was the Gentiles. Now we see Jesus says that he is going to be condemned by the chief priests, the scribes, and they're handing, going to hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Notice verse 33. 
behold, we are going to Jerusalem, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, behold, I am going, and I'd really like you guys to come with me. Would you think about it? Would you pray about it? Jesus says, we are going to Jerusalem. This is what the Father intended, not only for me, but for us as a group. Then Jesus in John, verse 35, the sons of Zebedee came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Man, this is a two great sentences right there, right? And they didn't just say, we'd like you to do something for us in particular. They said, we want you to do whatever we ask, Jesus. Now imagine where these guys are at. We would like to laugh and point fingers. I did, you know, sometimes I still do. I'm like, you guys are silly. But think about where they were at. These guys saw Jesus touching people's lives, healing them, uh, just incredible, incredible things. Listen, whatever somebody asked when they came to Jesus, Jesus said if they had the faith, he would do it over and over and over. And the guys are in a place where they're like, well, we're not sick, but we want something from Jesus. We're, we're okay, we're with him, and, and we haven't asked anything from Jesus yet. Maybe we could ask him, what's the best thing? I'm, these two brothers, I'm sure they were talking amongst themselves. What's the best thing we could ask Jesus for since he gives stuff to people who ask for it? Oh, he's the Messiah. He's the king. Let's ask that we would sit at his right and his left. Spoiler alert. Ambition. Jesus is teaching them that to be great, you have to be the least. And that's what he's demonstrating. Jesus isn't just teaching them. Jesus is living the example. He's showing them. What do you want me, Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us that we may sit one at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. You think so? (laughs) Jesus had three guys that were closer to him than anybody else. Who was it? Peter, James, and John. James and John decide that they're going to, you know, leave Peter out of the picture and ask Jesus for the best two seats when he arrives in his glory, right? Do you remember who we said is probably the inspiration, motivation, and teaching Mark what to write in the gospel of Mark? Peter. Mark was Peter's apprentice. He was his assistant historically. So it's probably Peter reiterating these stories, and Mark is taking it to pen and paper. And here, Mark, I don't know what his intentions are, but he calls them out. For everybody to see. I don't think he was bitter about it. At the time, it seems like he may have been. But they were the ones that wanted a blessing that was exclusive from Jesus. When Jesus had just taught them 
that it's not about exclusivity. It's not about elitism. It's not about status. They have a desire for ambition, and they throw this out to Jesus. And his response is, do you know, you do not know what you ask? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with what I am baptized with? This speaks of what the intentions of God were for Jesus. The cup is speaking what was given. The baptism is what he's going to be immersed in. He's going to be immersed in it. And they are going to feel a degree of what Jesus felt in the future. Jesus says, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared. Jesus, in speaking to them gracefully, because, you know, I mean, Jesus could have just, he could have said anything to them, really, you know? Like, what's wrong with you guys in front of everybody? I think that there's a level of, of grace that he gives to them and says, hey, listen, you guys, you are going to drink the cup. You are going to go through extreme difficulty similar to what I'm going to go through. You are going to be baptized in the same baptism. And you are going to go through the same things that I went through as my disciple because that's what discipleship looks like, you know? The, the, the student is not greater than the teacher. The servant is not greater than the master. They will go through those things. But to sit at his right and his left, those are not positions that he's able to give because the plan of God was already set in motion and started since the foundation of the earth was laid. Those people were already established before creation. And it's hard for us to wrap our heads around this. I like to consider and think about this sometimes and blow my mind. I still blow my mind every time I try to do it. Maybe we can do a little, little exercise this morning. How can you ever be completely separated from time? You can't. Can you ever stop time? Can you ever stop the cricket from chirping? <laughs> Apparently you can't. Some people say that, you know, and I believe this, that... that uh, you cannot separate yourself. You cannot be in a state where time does not exist. One of the forms of human torture is, is solitary confinement. You can take somebody and put them in a cell in the middle of a mountain and be away from hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people all alone by themselves, and are they separated in time, from time? No, they're not. Because even then, in that, that, that remote place, they can still hear and this is something that's, that's been uh, talked about too, they can still hear their own heart beating in that silence. There's still a degree of time that that person has to contend with. What makes them crazy is not knowing what's going to come next, what's going to happen, how long this is going to be, or not knowing, being able to know how long it's going to be. Unless you know what your, you know, how many beats your heart does a minute and you go crazy from counting minutes to hours to days to weeks to years. You can't separate yourself from time. And for us to try to understand what God's plan is based in time will also probably drive ourselves crazy. It's not possible. It's not possible. You guys have heard the illustration maybe from me before that God, it's like what, the way that God sees us in time is like uh, we would see a parade, when you stand on the side of the street, as the parade goes by, each part of the parade, 
comes in, in, in its order, right? You have the baton throwers, you have the little guys with the funny hats and the cars, and you have the, the horses and, and the people that throw candy, and you're looking for the next thing, but you can only see so far until they get to a certain point. Then you can see them, then they're right in front of you. How does God see the parade? He's on top of the skyscraper, and he's looking down on top of the parade. And what happens when you're up there looking down? You can see the beginning from the end. You don't have to wait it for any particular act to pass by in front of you. You see the whole thing. Jesus, in, in t- saying to them, this is not a position that I could give you now because it's already been established, gives us a little glimpse into what it looks like for the whole plan of God. This is why a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day with him. There's no way to gauge it because there's no time. In the New Jerusalem, there's going to be no sun or moon. You know what the sun and the moon and the stars do for us? Time. Days and months and years. And how are we going to have light in the New Jerusalem? Jesus is going to be the light. And I don't think he's going to go out. Oh, we got another power outage. Jesus, what are you doing in there, man? Come on. God has a plan. God has a purpose for these men. And I do not take it lightly or say it lightly when I say this, that if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you are following him, then God has a plan for you too. And when you're walking in that plan, when you're following Jesus, wherever he is going, you should be amazed and you should be a little bit afraid because he's going to do it. And the things that God intended for you since the beginning of creation, you're going to do those things as you follow him. We have a decision to walk in our own way, to walk in our own flesh and the lusts of the flesh, or to walk after him. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Why? Because they were looking to be in a status that was above them. They didn't get it yet. Nobody got it. You know, Jesus is saying you have to be the least, and these guys are still trying to be the greatest. Is that how you feel sometimes? Man, I want to be the best, you know? I want to be the best I can be, not just like generally, but I want to be the best so that I can tell other people that I'm better than them. I'm the best preacher of the gospel in Las Vegas. Yeah, and I look at everybody else, I'm like, you that's a bad point. That's not communicated well. You get out of here. How are you even a pastor? <laughs> Ambition. Of course I don't do that. Sometimes. But we want to be the best. Here, you want to know how to be the best disciple of Jesus Christ? Be the least. Serve. Sign up for VBS. Oh, man. You know, not even the disciples. Remember two Sundays ago when we talked about marriage, kids, and possessions? Not even the disciples wanted to have anything to do with kids. You crummy little kids are looking to get a blessing from Jesus. You guys aren't going to get it. You get out of here. You stop crying. You're not going to get a blessing from Jesus? Jesus is like, don't forbid the little children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. Those who have nothing to offer, those who are dependent on others, children, be like them. Oh, no, we want to be the greatest. 
Jesus in verse 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and that their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You guys can underline those verses too. Do you want to be like Jesus? I do. I pray all the time, Lord, I want to be like you. If you want to be like Jesus, then you have to take the example that he gave you and not just learn about it intellectually, but apply it by being a servant to others. You know, you know I was talking to Grace the other day, and um, we were driving, go somewhere, and there was this absolutely gorgeous 2017 Toyota Tacoma extended quad cab, burnt orange. It was just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen on earth, you know gorgeous four by four four loaded you know the guy didn't even look like he deserved to drive it (laughs) and grace said something to me that she's never said to me she knows how i feel about this vehicle you know and she said she said you know what you never know maybe someday that you'll have one of those you look good in one of those and i said no way man you know that's that's crazy but think of how many people could get saved if I had that truck. Man, the things that we would do, the outreaches. And then I, and then I thought and I said, you know what? I don't know if I want that truck anymore. And she was shocked. She's like, oh, are you kidding? And I said, you know, I'm a pastor. What happens to a pastor with a pickup truck? I knew, he goes four by four in, I knew a pastor who had a pickup truck, and this is what he told me a couple years ago. He said, I will never buy a pickup truck again. And I said, really? Yours was gorgeous. He had a Tacoma, actually. And I, he said, I'll never buy a pickup truck again. I said, really, why? He said, people called me literally two to three times a week. I was helping people move stuff. <laughs> so I figured it out. How to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Buy a Toyota Tacoma and help people move all the time. A servant of all. Nobody wants to do that job. You don't want to take that call or when you see that text, but that's the way to be a servant. So if you got, I'm going to put a GoFundMe together if you guys want to, if you guys want to enable or help me to be the best servant I can be, help me get there, okay? If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to be the least. Now, I used to hear, I used to hear a, a friend of mine who was mistreated, and he was r- ranting and, and, and raging one day, and he was upset about this one particular person, and he said, you know what, just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean that I'm a doormat. And I said, I, I, I'm not sure if that's actually accurate. <laughs> I think that as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, Jesus demonstrated the perfect human doormat. Like People walked all over him. He had his own disciples who he was continually trying to help them understand you know, what God's perfect will was. They continued to try to do their own will and do their own thing. And I'm still like, I'm still, my mind's still boggled. I'm still rustling through Judas. 
You know, Judas Iscariot was, not only was he close to Jesus as part of his 12, but Jesus allowed him to, to handle the money. Knowing, knowing, you know, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, yeah, you know, he's got to stick around. He's part of the 12, but let's have somebody else do the money, you know? Jesus wasn't worried about it. He was the one that was going to provide for them, and the sin of that person was going to be found out, and it was in extraordinary fashion. Judas wasn't serving others. Judas was a disciple of Jesus Christ to serve himself. He was. We're not going to get into that this morning. That's a whole different study. But everything he did, he did it for himself. And we are not to be those kind of people. If the Son of Man did not come to the earth to be served, but to serve, who are we? Where are we? Where's our heart today saying, I'm above that. I'm better than that. I'm a better person than that person is. Jesus never said that. He laid his life down. How do you serve? How do you serve financially? With your tithe unto the Lord. That's a service unto the Lord. How do you serve? Do you serve in the very least capacity possible? As little as you can give to get by? How do you serve with your time? Do you give at the least possible? How do you serve after potluck during cleanup? Now, I wiped down a table. I did a table and a half before my back started hurting, and I couldn't do it anymore. I realize that some people, you know, they're, they're limited physically, obviously, right? But that wasn't, that's not, that wasn't the reality for, for my imaginary person, you know. It's easy to make excuses and not do things. How do we serve in relationships? You know somebody that needs help, but you hope that somebody else will help them so you don't have to, even if it's a conversation. Jesus stopped. We're going to see that in our final example as we finish out this chapter. In fact, I don't want to spoil it, so let's continue. You guys are not like the Gentiles who lorded over each other who exercise authority over each other. Your example is me. I am a servant, and I want you to be servants. Verse 46, Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now we know that if they're going through Jericho, that now they're coming very close to Jerusalem. It's, it's the last leg of the trip. And then we see there's this blind beggar sitting on the side of the road, and we, give it, we have his name, Bartimaeus. This is the only person in the Synoptic Gospels who was healed whose name was given. There's something special about this story that Jesus wants us to understand. It gives his, his, his name and who he is. And when he had heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Listen to this. They warned him to be quiet. You're just a beggar. You're just a blind dude. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Just be quiet. You know what I see that as? I see that as the enemy. That's the devil. 
If you ever have a thought in your head or somebody tells you that you don't have to waste your breath praying or asking the Lord about something, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the devil. He doesn't have time for you. God is busy. Your problems are so little and meaningless. Listen, he wants to hear you cry out to him. And Bartimaeus does this. He cries out to him. Then many warned him. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying, be of good cheer. Rise. He is calling you. Notice something. Jesus stops in his tracks to meet a man that everybody else thought he shouldn't give the time of day. Jesus did not say, hey, one of you disciples, go take care of Bartimaeus. Jesus did not say, hey, we'll get back to you later, or hey, somebody help him come to Jerusalem, we'll handle it later. Jesus stopped. It's what he wanted to hear, a man who was crying out to him. To finish up our discipleship series, you can write this down. Bartimaeus, bringing everything together, is the model disciple. It's what a disciple should be, somebody who's in need, somebody who's crying out to the Lord, somebody that the Lord is willing to respond to by stopping and healing him and helping him. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Something that's really required for us as disciples in Jesus is that we need to make sure that we are following him. Not that we are calling him to come to us again, right? Hey, Jesus, come over here. I need your help. No, we don't call Jesus to come to where we are. Jesus meets us many times where we're at. But as he continues, we have to go to him. We have to follow him. If you're in a position of need on the side of the road and you're blind and you don't know what's happening and you need help, go to Jesus. Well, I'm here waiting for Jesus, but he hasn't come yet. Stop waiting and go to him. He's calling you. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens, we will sup together. We will have fellowship. They said, okay, hurry up, Bartimaeus. Let's go get up. He's calling you. Arise, let's go. Throwing his garment aside, he arose and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, look at this, what do you want me to do for you? Ring a bell? It's the same thing that he said to James and John. What do you want me to do for you? James and John asked to be part of and receivers of and recognized as part of Jesus' glory. Bartimaeus, the blind man, seeks to submit himself to Jesus. The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. I don't know about you guys. I can only speak for myself, but I will tell you surely 100% that once I was blind, but now I see. I was blind. 
And I look back at that time and I think, how stupid was I? How, how ignorant, how unwise. And really, maybe those things are true to a certain degree, but really, how blind was I? That I allowed my condition, the place that I was, that I was in, to, to, to be my satisfaction. How blind. But notice what Jesus said to him, because this is good too. And I believe it's the same thing that Jesus says to his disciples today, meaning you and I. Look at what he says. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. He's going to get his, his sight back. He's going to get healed. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he received his sight. But Jesus gave him the option to have the one thing in his life that he wanted more than anything else. A 2017 Tacoma four-wheel drive. Just kidding. His sight. His sight. Everybody else got to see what the world was like. But old Bart couldn't. He just sat on the side of the road and begged people because he was dependent on others to help him. And now he's in a place where he's begging the one person who can help him supremely. And he says, you're, you're healed. Go your way. He could have gone to see the world, literally. He could have gone to see his family for the first time. He could search out his closest friends. He could go see the temple that he was outside every day begging at. He could, he could go anywhere and see everything. And what did he do? There's only, thing that he, there's only one thing that he wanted to see, and that was Jesus. It says that he followed Jesus. What he wanted was given to him, but what he received was even greater than what he expected. And the same is true for you and for I. When we ask the Lord for things, he wants to give us. He wants to help us. He wants us to follow him where he's going. And as we follow him, and we're amazed at the things that he's doing, I'm amazed right now at what God is doing in my life. And what God is doing in our church. I'm amazed. I was just talking to a brother about this the other day. I'm amazed. And I'm a little bit afraid. Because <laughs> I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what the church is going to look like next year. I know what my insufficiencies are. I want to say, Lord, we, I need you. I want to keep following you. Again, in closing, I have to ask you, where are you today? Where are you? Are you asking Jesus to come to where you're at? Are you pulling him along on some idea or plan that you have for your life? Are you willing to say, my plan isn't enough. It's not good. My way is not the right way. I want to follow Jesus. And when you get to ask him, what is his response to you? Lord, I need your help. What do you, what do you need from me? What do you want me to give you? Notice the key word in both of those statements is want. What do you want? What do you want? It's a deep question. What do you want about life? What do you want with where you're at right now? Is it position? Is it status? Is it ambition? 
or is it service? Is it Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you give us Bartimaeus as an example of an exemplary disciple. A man that spent his whole life begging who you came across and you stopped and you touched. You healed him so he could see. God, thank you so much for healing us. Thank you for giving us sight. Thank you for allowing us to see not just what life is supposed to be, because now we do, but to see you. And in seeing, not going and doing something else because we have clarity, but seeing the path that you're on, the direction that you're going, so that we could follow you, so that we could see you, so that we could serve you and others those around us. Thank you for teaching us, Lord, this morning. Sow this word deep in our hearts this week that we can respond to you in obedience. We can respond to you in truth because we love you and we want to be like you. Servants, lay down our lives like you laid down your life for us. In Jesus' name.